This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wode, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal cast and YouTube. Alrighty guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal cast. So we're going to do a little bit of expansion on what we touched on last week as far as changes to product streams, distribution structure, etc., to get a little bit more into the nitty-gritty as far as the timeline of what the last couple of years have been, changes Watsi's made, etc., etc. Why do we do this? Because the past informs the future. So if we know what they've been doing distribution-wise for the last couple of years, we can kind of try to gauge where things are going to go in the future, as well as the overall health of LGS economies, etc., etc. So without further ado... Let's get into why Redman's product flow is better than Wizards of the Coast 2 Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> so uh, we've kind of noticed since 2014-ish, the Watsi has been attempting uh, additional product streams, mainly starting with convention sets. And we see them kind of move into a direct market there and test the direct market, albeit through conventions. So we're looking at extremely limited runs, and we have basically four years of kind of untouched SDCC sets with uh, no change in sight. The direct-to-customer route has worked. It's created a limited product. It's a viable option. They decide that it works down to the way the box looks, and they move forward and plug away, moving into the Hascon set and eventually My Little Ponies. It works so well, I still have a toothbrush that they sent me. Thanks, Wizards of the Coast. That was the great Mythic Edition. Yeah, uh, Mythic Editions come later. Yep, 2018. Yeah, sorry. No, nope, that's all right. So we see them move from SDC sets, which have to be picked up in person, on site, and you're either friends with Watsi employees and get in early, or you know people who go to SDCC and do nothing but stand in lines. Either way, that's how it works for four years. Eventually, they move a little bit uh, more direct, and we get the Hascon promos. And again, you need to know somebody that goes to Hascon, but it's a lot easier once you know somebody that's on site, either a vendor or somebody who's paid, and it's a lot easier for those people because Hascon is the Hasbro Toy Fair, essentially, and they just covered all their brands, and they had a lot of vendors on site. I believe Star City was there. I think Troll and Toad was there. Basically, these kind of stalwarts at the GP level were invited into Hascon to set up shop. And yep. you know, if you knew anybody who was going and bought the like $400 or whatever ticket or a vendor you could get your copies that way from there we move into my little ponies and that is direct my little ponies comes direct from hasbro's site to you and i think that was the first or second time that the magic portion of the hasbro website shit itself and if it wasn't the first, it was the second, and that was the end of that direct-to-player route. They have since moved off of it to new technology to avoid tying up Hasbro customer service lines. And we now Let see... Let eBay handle it. Yeah, right. <laughs> yep, then we see Hi. Mythic Editions, like you mentioned. And the first one went okay because it had 5 CMC Teferi, and we didn't know how good that was going to be. The second one came about, and that had Jace the Mind Sculptor, and all hell broke loose. And Hasbro just screwed the pooch, top to bottom. We right there, Hasbro toy shop. Yep. Uh, uh, every MTG finance Discord, every Magic Discord had people 
putting in their orders around the same time, and what they got back was completely different. It didn't matter if you were first wave, second wave, third wave. It didn't whatever earth wave. Everybody got yeah. something different. Some people were lucky enough to get Mythic Editions. Some people got a toothbrush for reasons we still don't understand. So Watsi began testing and improving, iterating on this direct-to-customer model. So where does that put us? They're testing products at the same time. Eventually, it all boils down to, after the Mythic Editions, what we see in 2019, secret layers start. And now we get this more unique product, this more tailored product. It's less of the Mythic Edition, where it's just a scattershot of Planeswalkers, although there is still the random stained glass Planeswalker in the secret uh, layers. But they are now tailored to a theme. And we see Watsi effectively entering the secondary market. It started with the first Mythic Edition, direct to players, although if I remember correctly, the majority of them were picked up on site at Magic Fests. I don't know if Magic Fest Montreal was the first one, but that was uh, Guilds of New Rav, essentially release weekend, and everybody that I can remember coming in the first few hours of Friday had at least one Mythic Edition in tow. I think it's also worth noting that one of the problems with their current direct-to-consumer model, and GP Montreal kind of highlights that, is the lack of European options that existed before. Because mm -hmm. when it was just on Hasbro Toy Shop, it was just U.S. shipping. Yep. So there was a huge arbitrage opportunity economically. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and now opening it up on eBay theoretically would allow them to ship internationally. But that hasn't been the case. No. So by the, those changes in that model from going to these convention models where they would also, you know, release them at a convention or GP overseas mm -hmm. to going this direct to consumer model, it has created one of those opportunities yes. within the MTG finance sphere. So yeah. oh, as an aside, absolutely. It's, it's, it's interesting to note. And really that kind of speaks to secret layers, the walking dead more so than anything else, because that that added new cards to this game that didn't exist before all the other secret layers were all reprints. So the arbitrage yeah. opportunity were for players who just wanted an alternate art. Now you're looking at brand new cards that players across the world can't get until they're released in another product or if they can it's going to come at an extreme cost because it has to be imported from the united states and if i i just got secret layer oozes i got a message from tcg player about secret layer dog so we are like three behind in terms of shipping and i think ooze yeah. came out in august so it's about three months behind which means we won't see the walking dead start shipping until 2021 if we're lucky so thankfully, the five-color humans deck starring every card from that secret layer hasn't really taken off in Legacy, and thus nobody needs it in paper yet, but there is the opportunity for that yeah. to happen. And it is, yes, an, an absolute uh, shit show. And even then, once if distribution opens up to something like secret layers, the fact that these direct-to-player products are so small in terms of print run means that regions that have distro that don't have distro located within so south america and africa as a whole have to pull distro from elsewhere to get their numbers fulfilled so they are being they're secondhand citizens they're being fulfilled after the the main regions for those for that distro like 
for yeah. South America, Brazil in particular, I can tell you when a set or yeah, when a set came out, the easiest way for some of the largest stores in Brazil to get product was to order it to Miami, fly to Miami, open it all in Miami, and then fly it back to Brazil. Yep. That is how some of the largest shops in Brazil operated for a very, very long time. And as of right now, I don't believe Africa is served by anything. Magic has no. been to Africa once. They were uh, there was a GP in South Africa. It was not well attended because it did not serve as a great destination for an event. But that doesn't mean there aren't players there. So it is yet another underserved region. Yep. So I think too, as these changes have happened, and Watsi has tried to evolve their model, and most recently how they've kind of, you know, as we touched on last episode, they dropped the Australia-New Zealand market as direct supplemental and have gone over to an Amazon route. As, you know, in addition to cutting shipments to distros, mm -hmm. they're in cost-cutting mode. Yes. I don't think, you know, a, a lot of times when companies go into cost-cutting mode, people assume it's because they're losing money, they're trying to, you know, shore it up where they can. I don't think that's the case here. I think, and I'm going to say this very slowly so everyone listening hears me and doesn't have to, you know, I don't have to repeat myself. I think Hasbro is making a good business decision. Let that sink in for a moment. Mm -hmm. Because that's not my normal MO. But when it comes to this in particular, I think from Hasbro's perspective, this is a good business decision. Now the potential fallout not so good no. obviously your lgs's are going to suffer because now there's less product to go around and with less product prices could potentially go up especially because one of the fallouts of them stopping the direct supplemental model in the united states and going the amazon fulfillment route was box prices at wholesalers went up because they got rid of msrp because when you're not competing with direct from manufacturer pricing you get to charge whatever you want mm -hmm. and the market's going to correct which is fine Yep, that's free markets. God bless them. But that was one of the fallouts we had. And as Amazon has happened, I know I've seen it at my local store, and I'm sure some of you have as well. Typically not from your locals, your regulars, obviously, because they're still going to get a couple boxes yep. from the LGS just to keep them open. But and it happens with D&D &D all the time, too. Someone walks in and says, hey, uh, do you have this in? I'm like, yeah, it's 45 bucks for a D&D &D core rulebook. Like, ah. I'll get it on Amazon. Yep. It's 25 there, direct from Wizards of the Coast. Mm -hmm. Or how much is uh, your standard box? Oh, it's it's 110 bucks. Okay. Well, it's 85 plus shipping on Amazon. So I'm going to go that route. And I'm not saying that, you know, Wizards hasn't done things to help LGS's free mystery booster six months ago was great six months ago. And I, you know, some people love the FNM program, but this is something they've done that for better or worse, has impacted the LGS economy. And, and I think as they're towards these more business-savvy moves, that's something you're going to see, is your LGSs are going to start to struggle. And I think, whether intentionally or not, the design here is to get the top 10% of stores to stick around and have those be the standard. Mm -hmm. And whatever else happens has to adapt or die. die. Survival of the fittest. It's a green enchantment. Look it up. Yep. Uh, no, oh, no, absolutely. And the announcement of the change in distro model from just distro to distro to LGS split 
to distro to LGS and Amazon was huge and received with yeah. a lot of negativity until players realized that if they really just were buying the boxes to buy the boxes, not necessarily support the LGS, that Amazon does provide a better and uh, oftentimes cheaper route to what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. It doesn't support the LGS at all, but if you weren't spending your time there anyway, then it doesn't necessarily matter. If you're not part exactly. of that overall economy, both uh, social and financial, then Amazon provides a much easier route for you to receive your product overall. And it also provides Watsi a better avenue to deliver product. When it comes to uh, the overall life cycle of the product, there are a number of locations in the product pipeline where logistics matter. And yep. after it's printed, if it goes back to the Watsi warehouse, all it needs to do is make one more trip to an Amazon warehouse, and that's it. Watsi no longer has to worry about it. It is now with Amazon. It is under their eye, their guarantees, and is moved around and shipped appropriately. If it's sent to distro, they have to get it to each individual distro, and then that distro then has to get it to their LGS. And while that is only one additional layer the amount of times that product has been lost eh, and the watsi warehouse and distro warehouses is a large enough number that it does matter and i think that's especially worth noting is that the liability there that watsi has because one of the agreements that watsi has with pretty much every distro is if you you know as we touched on last episode you got a damaged box show us you destroying it and we'll reimburse you mm -hmm. Well, they don't have to do that with Amazon because Amazon just doesn't care. If the box gets destroyed, they'll figure something out. Mm. They can afford to. Yes. A lot of times the distros, you know, as cool as it is to think about getting boxes for $69 and selling them for 79 by the hundreds, I, those margins are just as thin as an LGS is after you account for labor, insurance, everything else. So by giving it to Amazon, where your warehouse is 10 to 20 times the size of a distro mm -hmm. for magic or whatever collectibles, uh, that cost is way lower for them. So again, a good business decision by Hasbro. It, it, it absolutely is. And it's you know, what you spoke to about the survival of the LGS. This is what everybody has been looking at since 2019 and the announcement of the shift to Amazon. The, this is the next step for Watsi is to push as much play as they can to a digital environment where they can control the game better and pull back from the LGS model, which has kept them alive through the physical era. Now we're in the mm -hmm. digital era and they need to keep up. So does this mean the, the LGS dies as a whole? No, the LGS still serves as additional purpose. Yeah. They, until they call paper magic at the competitive level, there's still a reason to go to your LGS. And even then, your LGS can still support casual and commander knights. It's not yeah. like the paper game dies at the LGS level. What changes is now how the LGS supports the players in terms of overall sealed product. My LGS right now, without the pre-releases, is able to dial back if they want on the amount of product they buy overall because there aren't people just walking in for an F&M and buying a box. You yeah. can't play in person yet. 
that's the way it goes. So they are able to dial back. They no longer have to worry about the math of we're, we're running X events over the next three months. How much product do we need to buy so we can both sell boxes and provide prize support? That is math that every LGS that runs events has to do, starting with your pre-release weekends. When you yeah. get to dial all of your all of that back because, well, people can just buy their boxes on Amazon, that's what they're doing. What do we need for prize support plus 10% just in case or plus 5%? It gets a lot easier on the LGS and they're able to shift their numbers around elsewhere and maybe move into more of a singles game in regards to Magic or offer something else entirely at the LGS level while still giving Magic players a place to play. It really does change the ecosystem overall at the local level and still provides and Watsi is still able to provide support to their player base with paper product. They're just shifting yeah. where you look for it, depending on what they want their model to be. And that's... I know in the past I've said Watsi really doesn't care about the LGS. Their behavior says they don't. At the end of the day, I would like to think Hasbro knows without the LGS their game isn't the same. Because like you said, EDH exists at your LGS. And EDH is easily the biggest financial driver in the entire game. Hands down, mm -hmm. not close. Anyone who disagrees is wrong. And that's a fact. And without EDH, Commander, whatever you want to call it, fine. Without that, it can't exist. And I hope that they know that. But it seems more and more like what they are doing is alienating that group. And that's something that, as you can see, these things happen mm -hmm. and how they shift their distribution model. You can sort of see a little bit of a shift in how LGSs work, how the financial economy works, be it arbitrage opportunities overseas, be it the fact that LGSs now, in order to get singles, aren't cracking boxes. Or if they are, they're not cracking multiple cases like they used to. They're cracking fewer because mm -hmm. they get fewer boxes and the boxes are more expensive. So they need to buy it from the locals mm -hmm. and that is a prime example of you as a backpack vendor being able to go to an lgs and say look here's you know just spitball in here this is the reality of the situation i want to help you guys out what can i do what do you need because when i travel around and i go to different lgs's i go to different weeklies when they exist again when i go to gps and trade out i'm going to get stuff i can bring to you that you can buy from me yep. and we can both you know make a percentage on how do we do that oh yeah and this is like these shifts have created a prime opportunity for that to exist no absolutely and i think it also provides watsi with what might be the next change which is the overall idea of the paper product as a whole i'm pretty sure we've touched on this where they're going to be there's going to be a vampire in a and there's going to be a werewolf in a and that looks like yep. it's going to be the test bed for combined with how they're splitting sets now with uh draft normal and ce we might start seeing the draft product the product for players who want to open packs to play cards not in draft mm -hmm. product and then ce and yep. your lgs now gets to choose what they want to get and the same with large vendors as well where if you know you're going to be holding drafts well then you buy the draft product because it's got everything in the set and yeah. if you buy the cards that matter for paper play then it cuts out you know hill giants one through eight in the set cards that are just all flavor text and filler yeah and that is the next iteration we see on this product brought to the lgs brought to amazon etc 
is now that Watsi has a distro method locked in, the last thing they can do really, in my mind, is pull back further from distro and push more to Amazon before they split product as a whole and start targeting directly their audiences that way and push sales a little harder there. So, all in all, uh, I think, brick in the wall. yeah, just another brick in the wall. And I mean, really, you can't have any pudding if you don't eat your meat. That's true. You can't eat your pudding. All right, picks, or you got anything else? No, uh, uh, I'm good. I think the the product timeline that we've got laid out was pretty tight. There wasn't a whole lot of change. You know, we had in between at the first SCCC and now uh, all the supplementals that we're used to, but none of them were direct to players. You know, it took me a yeah. second to realize that FTVs actually sat on a shelf. Yeah, uh, that was something I forgot. I, it seems like ages ago that those even existed and how I miss them. Yeah, and there's a difference between the way think uh, big box retail works where they just get everything that an LGS would now. So it's not like we're looking at the same thing when you go to Walmart that you can do on Amazon. Big box is treated completely differently. They don't listen to Watsy. They don't care what Hasbro has to say about street dates, but they get all the same product an LGS would, not Amazon. You know, Amazon yeah. gets a much more limited or got a much more limited window, but has no MSRP. It's all direct from Watsy. It's not the yeah. same elsewhere. But other than that, yeah, I'm good to go into picks. Cool. Um, I start. I went first last week. And your card has the most words, so I'll go first. <laughs> Boy, does it. Yeah. So my, my card this week uh, continues along with my trend of picking big, dumb creatures that buff your team. And I picked Moonvale Dragon from Dark Ascension. This has been a pet card of mine for a while. I really liked it in, in Riku because Riku just floods the board, so to speak. And it makes your creatures really awkward to deal with because you pump the entire team constantly. And this is just a card that doesn't get a lot of respect in my mind. Yes, it's worse than Pathbreaker, Ibex, Crater of Behemoth, and some of the other options we've talked about. But the other thing is, this doesn't require combat, and it's a two-way threat. You can pump your creatures yeah. uh, uh, when you attack or when you need to block. And unlike Pathbreaker, Ibex, or... Uh, what is this? It's not Thunderhoof. I was wrong. Um, Craterhoof. Thunderfoot. It's Thunderfoot. Oh, Thunderfoot, yeah. And uh, unlike those two, it doesn't need to stick around. If you play this and you have red up and somebody removes it, you just pump your team, and that's it, right? Yeah. So this is uh, kind of a, uh, an interesting card in that regard. What I, I think it's overlooked because primarily in the decks that want to go wide, and I don't mean like super wide, like all I'm doing is making infinite tokens uh, with like doubling seeds and stuff like that. I mean like you're just playing Gruul, and so you put like five to eight creatures on the board, maybe a little more, or your top end is Avenger of Zendikar, so Crater Huff is a little overkill for that. Nobody really seems to be playing it in those decks yet, but this perfectly slots into those because it's just beef and you know allows you to just over multiple turns kind of take over the game. Where we see it instead is actually just all over dragon decks. Pick yeah. a dragon general, uh, except the Gruul Godzilla, and it's in there. It's in everything. It's even in Kalia, right? People just kind of want to combo out with this thing and get and get you dead, and that's perfectly fine. You know, you want to be aggressive with it. Awesome, go for it. 
but you dig a little deeper and you will see that people starting are starting to play this in those more go wide strategies like i said you want to ramp some stuff out so you've got some elves this goes in there because it makes all your elves a little more powerful you don't need to dump everything into your one shot creator hoof you don't need your commander around you don't need to enter combat and have it attack the damning thing about this is all those other cards give trample yeah all this does is fire breathe your team so over so immediately overall in that comparison it's at a loss that said it's really not that hard to put brawn or wonder in your graveyard the other incant uh incarnations from judgment brawn gives all your creatures trample wonder gives them all flying yeah and these two cards aren't too far out of color scheme you know that's teamer that's gruel is it sure you know you're not doing that overall as a repeatable effect this definitely belongs somewhere on the tier list probably not a probably closer to b when you're looking to could just kind of go wide and maybe not win the game in that one initial swing then that's where you want crater huff what the, the i think it's also good because being in red uh i feel like there's a lot more creature based combo strategies in red than any color but green in terms of like at the more casual tables oh yeah so i think that this is a good example of like this could even slot into a random goblins deck where you've got skirk prospector and brightstone ritual to just like is it eight whack your opponent in an edh game and i think that that gives it a little bit of extra appeal as well because i mean hey the braid of fire exists right yeah that seems like a great outlet for braid of fire exactly that's the point you know, the, the Goblins deck does want to go wide to a degree. It's not looking to yeah. go super with doubling season, like I said. It, it yeah. has a critical mass, and this allows you to just go over the top super easily. Mm-hmm. What I found interesting about this card is, in regards to price, we're now actually just about reaching where it crested in 2015. It crested at about $2.00. 50 cents and we are heading there pretty quickly yeah this bottomed out in february of 2020 i'll bring the stocks graph up and you can see we crested here in may of 2015 at 250 and now the market has been rising incredibly since february and i've been sitting on this pick for a while just watching it grow 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 right so we're coming back around we're finally going to see it come up it's been about nine months it's taken this card to almost double up from a dollar to two and change. So we are seeing a really nice slope in return in terms of recovery on this card. Buying in sub 250, as high as three if you want, is where I would be on this card. Now, that said, the immediate ar- arbitrage opportunity is on the foils. The delta on this is about three and a half to five x yeah depending on where you're buying your moon veils foils are almost seven dollars right now six fifty seven dollars that's what card kingdom is buying them for right now the not foils however have been super volatile in price this thus far of all the picks i've had in the last few months this is the only one to shrink in terms of buy quantity on card price and quant uh, sorry quantity and price we went from a dollar fifty uh last week when i locked in it is now 90 cents in credit 70 cents so that's under 50 percent of what it was on friday that tells me that 
the vendor market right now is both flooded and seeing little demand, but the open market is not. The open market yeah. is still seeing demand and people are buying this card. Once Bylist catches up, and I think that is probably going to be, what did I say? Maybe about six to nine months, if this doesn't just pop all of a sudden, that's when this rush hits and you'll be able to buy in. Japan is out of these. I checked last week. Uh, there are some floating around in the U.S. Uh, across vendor sites that are in Card Kingdom. Not that many. They're about double what they are in TCG, TCG Player, about $3. Yeah. There is a ton of arbitrage opportunity from the EU, and that's really where it looks like quantity is right now. If you wanted to get in, you can get in on TCG Player, like I said, below 250 but if you wanted to make the most money and even uh, just arbitrage now, you've got to reach into the EU for these. And I think, like I said, uh, six-ish months is where U.S. Bialis finally catches up when they find out there's just none left. They're just gone from the U.S. market. And based on the slope, I think we're going to hit a $5 retail in early 2020, 2021, sorry. And that's where we'll see Bialis go from sub a dollar to probably 2 to $3. I think it's worth noting as well that on something like this, it may seem generic enough that it's a high reprint risk. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't necessarily think that's the case on this, because if it were going to be reprinted, obviously Ultimate Masters, some Masters set would be the one you'd think. But we got Balefire Dragon and Ultimate Masters, so it's not going to be there. Or how about Raxos Dragon Engine? The Dragon Commander deck that did not feature this card. And I think that what we've seen then is multiple opportunities where this could have been reprinted and wasn't. So that means either one, Wizards doesn't think it needs a meaningful reprint, or two, they just don't care about the card. Um, Which, granted, from a financial perspective, which seems to be their basis, right now it doesn't. But in the next year, when are we going to see this card reprinted? We've got Vampires and Werewolves and Return to Return to Zendikar, Mm -hmm. or Return to Return to Innistrad, or whatever plane we're going to, uh, to I don't fair, know. Dark Ascension was the final set in the, in the original Innistrad block, right? But if we're locked yes. in on vampires and werewolves, we're not seeing that. I don't understand why we even saw a dragon in the first place on Innistrad. It had nothing really to do with the story, but here we are. People like dragons, whatever. No, but yeah, uh, what is the the Harry Potter set or the D&D set could be a likely candidate for this reprint, but there are other more high-impact dragons that they, they can either reprint or create for this yes you know we have we've locked in on a lot of named dragons over the years that are on various planes but who's to say you can't just reach through you know the planar portal and pull blade wing off of dominaria and throw blade wing into uh strixhaven wizards harry yeah, potter exactly yeah you know you need a good blue dragon for D. not gonna be moonvale i can guarantee you that one uh, no so yeah i uh I didn't really think about the reprint equity because it's just been floating along for so long. And as an underserved card and an underplayed card, it most likely is not on the short list of things that need needs to be reprinted, especially a 5-5 five, five for 6 as a mythic. It's yeah. a little clunky in what it does, and people most likely would not be happy, happy opening this, but probably more happy than opening Comet Storm and Mythic. Yep. So there's that. So, speaking of arbitrage and overcosted and weird, 
yep. pick this week. For those of you that don't know what the card is, I'm going to pull it up really quick. It's Juxtapose specifically from Legends. So, Juxtapose is from a period of magic where they were experimenting, things were fun, and they did weird stuff all the time. And while this card is not technically reserved list, it's very much a pseudo-reserve list card. So, target player and caster each choose one of the creatures they control with the highest casting cost and exchange control. Do this with artifacts as well. If one player doesn't have an artifact or creature, they don't have to exchange. That's it. It's blue and three. The reason I'm saying this is because of arbitrage. If you go to card market right now, it's sitting at between seven to nine euros, whereas on TCG, an LP copy from Legends is about 16 to $17. Why is this relevant? Well, it's a rare from Legends, which had an incredibly low print run that we know the number on. It's a card that occupies this weird space where it's pseudo-playable and old school. It's kind of a meme card in EDH, but collectors love it. Because the art, for one, is incredible, I think. Uh, And for two, it's not an effect that is ever going to be printed again. They like exchanging... Like, choose an exchange. Gilded Drake, reserve list. Great. Cards that just straight steal or clone, they're all about. Yep. But exchanging is something that Wizards has gotten away from more and more. So I am picking this card specifically if you order it from MKM for the arbitrage opportunity. Now, there's a decent quantity over there. There's also a decent quantity here in the United States. So it's literally just liquidity in the United States. This is part of the reserveless boom i guess you could say mm-hmm. uh however the legends copy isn't good again any more common the six yeah. edition copy is largely worthless because it's six edition and that set was hot garbage yep. the only thing uh, you would buy it for is if you wanted to play it exactly That's why i own six edition recalls yep uh and if you look at just over the last uh, couple months we had a low of $7 on this card in July, and now we're sitting at a low on TCG of about 10 with an average hitting 16 Yeah, but the thing is about that 10 spot, there's, uh, it's a, an MP and an LP, but it, yeah. the LP is misleading because it's got $3 shipping. So it's really more like 13 mm-hmm. I am making the suggestion with one caveat, and that is to anyone that is arbitraging right now from anywhere be incredibly careful. Uh, the postal service is very delayed, especially when stuff has to come overseas through customs. There's an absurd delay. I'm waiting on a package from Germany that I got in March. Mm-hmm. Still not here. Has been at customs for four months. So this isn't exactly something you're necessarily going to be able to turn around quick. But I think that based on the price graph on stocks, you've yep. seen that every time this card spikes, the floor sticks continually through legends the other sets not the case but with legends every time it spikes it sticks so what does this mean it means collectors and as long as collectors exist this card will continue to maintain value Mm -hmm. and this game is of course based on collectability so i don't think that value is going anywhere so in terms of your turnaround on this this is kind of to me an indefinite buy and hold Mm -hmm. Uh, it's it's a lock in your margin cash out at your margin whatever window that is for the legends one in particular so you know sometimes i like to periodically 
make picks that are arbitrage opportunities just because it's not something people necessarily think about. But this is, I think, a great opportunity to take advantage of that. I think it is too. And it just falls along the same lines of like cards like Reset, where it's like they could reprint it, yes, but it creates this weird game state and weird functionality of the game that just is unsavory. And they could make the effect more clean if they just yep. created a new card overall and that's what you would see so exactly to your point of where you we saw swaps we we have seen that kind yeah. of stuff um donate things like a uh, bizarre trader stuff like um and then you know directly just hijacking stuff uh bribery treachery etc zedru exists that's yeah. a really popular deck but almost all these cards are more cleanly worded and provide the effect that Watsi was looking for when they originally created Juxtapose. So it's ne it's not a card we're going to see created as is. It's not something like Oublier that's being played in a format that people care about. Juxtapose, we were trying to find it, was white hot and old school for like a day. Yeah. And it did whatever it was doing in old school for a hot minute and because it was the deck to play, people moved in, and you just kind of saw it take off and crest, and it doesn't reside, well, sorry, ride the reserve list wave like a lot of other things do, but this is definitely not coming back. Yep. And it's definitely a safe buy and hold, and you put it in a next of cards, like I said, like reset is in the Eye of Chaos uh, reserve list. Uh, yes, I think is. so, yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, it, and it's right along the lines of reset like you said where it's a weird card from legends that creates a bizarre game state mm -hmm. that they're never going back to no I, they're just not they in the eye of chaos whenever a player casts an incident spell counter it unless that player pays x where x is its converted with monocost i'm pretty sure they reprinted that card in invasion and it's called rethink just to give you an idea yeah counter target spell unless this controller pays x where x is that spell is converted to monocost this is a good example in the Eye of Chaos, yeah. Reserve List, never coming back. Obviously, it's a world enchantment, so it creates this weird game state. And it's not something that's savory that Watsi wanted. What they wanted was a counterspell, not something that yeah. just ground the game to a halt. So they made Rethink a better version. In the Eye holds its value because it's not only Reserve List, but it does have odd functionality here and there. Something like Juxtapose and Reset is going to, are going to be similar to that, but they won't get the reserve list bump. Thus, toss it away. Buy it and toss it in your infinite timeline spec box. Or yep. if you got something set up for 93, 94, toss it there. Yeah. Just something to keep in the back of your mind that you can just set it and forget it. You know, the Ronco rotisserie of specs. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Beautiful. Love it. That's why I'm here. I'm poetic. Yeah. But, <laughs> no, I... I I liked Juxtapose when we talked about it years ago because of old school. I I, I like it now. It, it's something that you can feel confident sinking money into and getting out of even at a break even in a couple of months. You don't have to worry about it. Yeah. You, you can also say, like, for an affordable price, you can own a sizable percentage of a, of a rare print run from Legends. That's true. And it's not terrible either. It's yeah. a playable card. You can play this. You just swap your 
big dummy for somebody else's big dummy. That has EDH capabilities and uh, implications. It is sure does eminently playable. You can buy a bunch and one shitty copy, and you just jam the shitty copy. Who cares? I've got shitty copies if anybody wants them. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you don't want to... However much Gilded Drake costs, you can buy that many juxtaposes and, and still play the same card effectively. Because you're not yeah. playing CEDH. Because you don't want to drop $250 on a Gilded Drake. Whatever. Whatever the fuck it is. Yeah. But on that sour note... See you guys. Uh. <laughs> we'll catch you guys next week. But for MTG Cabalcast, where and you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Patreon, Stitcher, Spotify, Audible. Eventually, whenever that service comes comes up, I am at halt. I am reptar. You are at thirsty sizzler. We'll see you guys next week.